We have one of those, Joshua chapter 1. We're eventually going to settle in at chapter 7, but I just want to read as a preface some of the verses from chapter 1. Now, if you have one of the printed bulletins, you'll see that the sermon title and text is different from what we're actually doing here. The online one is correct, um, but I decided to continue with the Philippian series in the evenings and uh, just to keep it consistent because I know that there are folks that are following along that can only be here in the evening and so I don't want them to miss that. So I decided that we would jump back to this uh, amazing account that we see here in the book of Joshua. And as you know, these narratives in our Old Testament are so rich with many, many practical lessons. And it's unfortunate that as we go through this hurriedly this morning that we can't pause and stop and wait on all these different nuggets that we could uh, bring out of here. But, uh, but we will touch on a few of them at least, and trust that you'll be encouraged and also convicted. And when we come to the scriptures, that's often the case. We're convicted, there's guilt, but we always need to remember there's grace, and springing out of that grace should always bring gratitude for all that God has done for us. And so that's what we're going to see here this morning. We're going to see a lot of guilt, and we're going to see grace, and hopefully go forward from here with gratitude at all that God has accomplished for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's first read Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down to verses 5 through 9, and then we will launch into Joshua 7. So verse 1 and 2, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Down to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pause and pray. O Lord God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us insights. And that which we know not, you would teach us. That what we have not, you would give us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless us by your Holy Spirit. Give us insight and lead and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we often hear talked about is success. We want to know, we want to hear from successful people. If you are in a particular field of industry, you want to know what the people, key people in your particular industry, how did they become so successful in what they're doing? And success is something that we often want to impart to our children, right? We want to set them up for success. We might talk in those terms, you know, how do we give our children, our, our youth, the best springboard 
into being successful. And success is something that we see in the life of Joshua. Now the question must come to our mind, what made Joshua successful? And we see in the life of Joshua at least three different things that are very, very important and keys to his success and keys to ours as well. And the first is meditation. Meditation. Joshua was someone who meditated. He meditated on the word of God. And we see that here in verse 8 of chapter 1. You shall meditate on it, talking about the word, the law of God, day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Don't we all want good success? The thing we need to remind ourselves of is that our success is tied to the word of God. Our success is tied to the word. And we see that refrain even in Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. That same idea that our success is tied to the word. To, to the word. We become like, like uh, near those springs of living water, that, that tree planted that flourishes because that's, we're feasting and feeding and meditating on the word. Now let's not be thrown off by that word meditation. We're not talking about Eastern mysticism. We're not talking about emptying our minds. We're talking about filling our minds with the word of God. And so it is a biblical term there to meditate on the word. We want to do that. We want to fill our minds. And the reality in our life is that we think in different patterns. And often we think negatively. We have negative self-talk. Have you heard that term before? Negative self-talk. The way that we talk to ourselves is often very, very negative. And so that causes us to spiral down and get discouraged and depressed. And what we need to do is spiral up by meditating on the Word of God and allowing that to encourage us and allowing that to bring us up into all of the glories of God. That's where our meditation should bring us into God and into his glory. And in that, we will not be discouraged, but encouraged. And so when we meditate on the word, when we read the word, when you're having your devotional uh, in the morning, you should have in the back of your mind different questions that you're asking the text. Of course, we always want to be dividing the word correctly and truthfully and rightly. And so we need to do that within the historical context that the word is given. But there's other questions that we can ask to guide our reading as we are reading along in the scriptures. We can think about questions like, is there a promise in this text that I can grab hold of today? Is there a sin that I need to avoid? Is there there a warning here that I need to heed? These types of questions should be at the back of our minds as we're reading the text. And in that, we don't go away from our reading and forget about those things. No, we want to be doers of the word. We want to be mulling over. We want to be meditating on those words during our daily lives so that we are encouraged through those things that we are reading in our devotional lives. And so we could say categorically that Joshua was a man of the word. He absolutely was. And the second thing is that he was a man of prayer. The man of prayer. He was a man of prayer that was very important to him. One of the sad things is that we see in Joshua 7 that he seems to avoid prayer in this particular instance and it causes a lot of grief and a lot of pain for himself and for others. But are you a person that believes in prayer? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you realize that Satan does? I mean, that's one of the reasons why he wants to prevent you from praying. 
because he knows that the effectual prayers of a righteous man avails much. And so he wants us to not be in the place of prayer. He wants to distract us. And I don't know about you in your life. Also, often I have good intentions. I'm going to go pray and I need to do this. And then I get distracted by something. And maybe that time slips by. And so Satan is successful in that. I didn't perhaps pray when I should have at that particular time. And you might recall that famous, famous quote from Mary, Queen of Scots, when she was talking about John Knox, that the famous Scottish Presbyterian during the time of the Reformation, she said this, I'm more afraid of this man's prayers than all of the armies of Europe against me. Can you imagine her hearing John Knox pray and it having such an effect on her, who was not a godly woman at all, yet she was afraid of the prayers of John Knox. And so that's the second thing that we see in the life of Joshua. He's a man who meditated on the word. He was a man of prayer. And the third key is that Joshua was a man of action. He was a man of action. Now there is a time to be still and wait upon the Lord. We're absolutely to do that. There are times to do that. But sometimes we use waiting on the Lord as an excuse. And Joshua is told here in this text that we're going to turn to in Joshua 7 to get up, to stop praying, to get about the business of the Lord that was at hand that we can see here. And so being a person of action, it's not just being a busybody. We just don't want to be busy but we want to be busy, engaged in those things that the Lord wants us to be doing. And in Joshua 7, in Joshua 7, we find this very heartbreaking story here that Joshua and the Israelites go from great success to great distress in just seconds. That's all it takes. Just one sin can have a dramatic effect in the trajectory of our lives. And so we need to be very, very careful about that about sin and about not allowing sin to take root in our hearts in this way that we see here described. And in this account, it seems very out of accord with the rest of the book of Joshua because we know it's a book about advancement. In, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see that, that the nation of Israel is finally, after years of waiting, they have entered the promised land and they've crossed over the Jordan River, which today is no more than a trickle really, Um, In those days, it was a river, and this was the high water season, and so the Lord stayed back the water. We can read about that in, in Joshua 3. He stayed the water so that the Israelites could cross over on dry land. A miracle's performed there, like the Red Sea. The seas part and the Israelites cross over on dry land and they come into, into the, the, the promised land here. And we see that in Genesis or in, uh, in chapter three of Joshua. They build a memorial, a stone memorial in chapter four of Joshua to commemorate this event of crossing over into the promised land. And so the nation is rejoicing. They've come into the land and now they've conquered the first city of Jericho. Okay, so they conquer Jericho. And what weapons did they use there? Heavy artillery, Apache helicopters, uh, machine guns, tanks? No, they used faith. That's it, faith. The book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11.30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Joshua and the Israelites conquer this city. Now, Joshua could have said, Lord, you bring the wall down first, and then we'll go in. 
if you do X, we'll do Y. And don't we sometimes pray that way? Lord, if, if you do this, that's going to be a sign that we're, we can go that way. And, but no, sometimes the Lord tells us and calls us to go out in faith and to do something. And that's what he did here. And the people believed God. They were obedient. And that's how the victory was won. And what a feeling of success that must have been for them. Everything is positive. Everything is going great. They've crossed into the land. They've had this, this commemorative service. They've conquered the city of Jericho. And now, what do we read at the end of chapter 6? We read this verse. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all of the land. It's an amazing statement. Everything is going great. Everything is going well. Until we read that first word of chapter 7 in verse 1. The very first word there. But, but, we see a transition happening. The, the, the tide has shifted. A dark cloud has come over, over the events that we're reading. This is a transition that we see here. But all of the success turns to distress very, very quickly. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Failure. Failure to live up to the commands that God has given them. The command that we see in Joshua 6 and 18. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest you have devoted them. Devoted them, you take them, any of the devoted things, and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Achan knew the warning. He heard it loud and clear. And he disobeyed a direct command from the Lord. And let's carry on in the passage. Verse 2 and verse 3. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all of the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil and go up there, for they are few. And so these spies come back. They're very overconfident in the armies of the Lord. Look what we can do. We've done all these great things. Look at this town of Ai. It's so small. We don't need to trouble everybody. This is no problem. It's a piece of cake. They're very overconfident. And we see that often in our own lives. Pride leads to self-dependency. And the second that we do that, we set ourselves up for a fall. We've got this. We can do this. AI is so much smaller. We can take care of this just with a few people. We'll just send up a small army and and we'll take care of these. It'll be no problem. And then we see the results in verse 4 and 5. So about 3,000 men went up, up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They were afraid. They're fearful. They fled from this smaller so-called army. And fear can be a very, very powerful emotion in our lives. Fear is a very powerful thing. Fear makes your enemies seem larger than they are. 
can make things a lot bigger than they actually are. And on the other hand, pride makes your enemies seem smaller than they are. And we see both of those dynamics at play here in this account here, in this story. We talked early earlier about success, but here we see a straight path, path to failure. A straight path to failure. Here is the way to fall flat on our face. One is self-confidence, being overconfident, being proud, being arrogant. They had defeated Jericho and AI so much smaller and they thought it would be a piece of cake. No problem, we got this. Self-confidence. And then it leads to to the second thing that that we see here. We don't see any place where they prayed, where they paused, where they stopped, where they, they entreated the Lord in regards to what's happening here. This prayerlessness. We don't see Joshua going to the Lord. And I just said that Joshua was a man of prayer, but one of his failures here, it seems to be that he doesn't consult the Lord. He doesn't pause and pray. And that's a great lesson for us as well. Even in the smallest things that we attempt to conquer in our lives, even in those small things, we need to go to the Lord. We need his help, constantly need his grace and his mercy in our time of need. If we exalt ourselves, we are going to be humbled. And the people here are humbled very, very quickly. Let's read on in, in verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 7. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And so we see here, Joshua now prays and he goes to the Lord with this great complaint about what has happened here. This great complaint. He's not praying praying before, but he does now. And we do that sometimes as well, right? We try to do everything ourselves. And then once we've made a big mess, we go to the Lord. And that's what we see happening here in our text. Lord, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? We're your people. We've come to you. And so we see here Joshua complaining. And then we see the Lord's response to the complaints of Joshua in verses 10 to 13. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Get up. Stop praying. Get on with it. It's a time for action. You need to be moving now, not on your face. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. Those words are chilling, aren't they? I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. 
There are times in our lives where we need to be on our faces and we need to be in prayer. Absolutely. And we need to be waiting on God. And there's other times when God has told us what to do, when we know what to do, and we need to get on with the doing of it. And maybe you are in that strait this morning that the Lord has been, been pushing you in a certain direction and you've been resistant. And God wants you to stop praying about it and get on with it. Whatever that looks like in your life. And I, I don't know what that looks like in your life. And you're going to have to apply that to yourself. But we see here this blatant disobedience and the time for action. There's a time to act upon what the Lord has already given them. They know what they need to do here. Get up. Stop praying. Get moving. It's a time for action. We see that blatant disobedience again. The command in chapter 6 and verse 18. The first city is taken and and settled through the promises of God. And by faith they went forward. And the first fruits of that city were to be dedicated to the Lord and to the treasury of God. And Achan had taken some of those things. They were the Lord's. And the Lord says to him that second time, get up, get up. Take action. Get moving. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Now go and deal with it. Now we see there that he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. What an evening and night that must have been for Joshua and the elders. I don't think they slept that much that night. How could they with the, with the, with the cloud of the Lord's judgment and the promise of destruction upon them unless they deal with sin in their midst. The purity of the Lord's people was at stake during this time. And maybe Achan, you can think about his mind for a second when he sees all of these treasures that are there, that the approximate worth of these in our money money today is about $50,000 in gold and in silver. So he sees that there, just a small portion of probably the millions in today's money of what would have been there uh, in Jericho for for the Lord's treasury, not for the people. And so you could see in his mind, I deserve these things. We've been away in, the, in the, this wasteland for so many years. We finally crossed into here. I deserve these things. It's just a small thing. No one's going to notice these things. I'll just take these few things and I'll hide them amongst my things and no one will ever know. And no one apparently saw him. Perhaps his children did. We don't know. But God saw, God knew, God knew what, what he had done. And so God comes down very, very severely upon him. And we need to remind ourselves that there is no such thing as secret sin. No such thing as secret sin. We see in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees every single thing. Nothing is hidden. There's no such thing as secret sin in that sense. God sees it all and knows it all. When I was five years old, I was walking down the road and I passed a convertible. And on the dashboard of that convertible was a package of cigarettes. And I stole those cigarettes. And I took them home and I stashed them underneath my bed. And of course, my mom found the cigarettes. She's vacuuming whatever she's doing, but it didn't take her long to find them. Maybe she overheard me talking about them or something, and and there they are. And uh, that did not go well for me. 
The hidden sin was discovered and it did not go well. My uncle came over later that day and made me chain smoke a whole bunch of them. And I was green. I remember that feeling, falling on my bed green. And it cured me of ever wanting to smoke. I never did my whole life. So that was a good thing. So if your kids start to smoke, say, hey, you want to smoke? Here you go. No, please don't do that. It it, it cured me, but I, I make no promises in that. But hidden things come into the light, and they always will. And we're promised that in the scriptures, right? The hidden things done in darkness that are concealed are going to be brought into the light. And it's always a horrible idea for us to hide our sin. If we hide our sin, the Lord will not honor that. Those secret things that we harbor in our heart, the Lord wants us to bring those out into the light so that we don't harbor harbor them, so that we confess them and that we forsake them, and that we receive his forgiveness for them and can walk forward in them. That's a big lesson for us, a big, big lesson. Because nothing is hidden from the Lord, and we need to confess and forsake. And we need to remember that grace, that the past is past, and we can't do anything about the past. All of those sins of the past, we can't do anything about them. All we can do is confess, repent, forsake, and receive the Lord's gracious forgiveness of those things. And then what do we do in the face of failure? We seek to honor the Lord today forward. That's always the path forward when we sin, when we fail. We seek to honor the Lord today forward. We give him all of that. We're so thankful for his gracious forgiveness that even on the cross of Christ, all those sins, past, present, future, he's dealt with it all. All of the guilt, all of the shame, he's taken it all. And we can be so grateful and thankful for that. But we need to be ruthless with sin. We need to be careful with sin. We need to not harbor sin and think that we're doing something in secret because it will be exposed. Here Achan has sinned and it's affected everybody. His sin has affected the whole nation. That's another lesson we need to learn in sin. We don't sin in isolation. We sin within our families, we sin within our our church community, we sin, and that has ripple effects with other people around us, always. So we need to be very careful. Let's continue reading uh, verses 14 to 21. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. 
when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. It's an amazing confession that we see there and it's also amazing how we see the parallel uh, between the description in verse 21 that Achan gives and also what happened way back in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. You remember the account back there in Genesis 3 where it says that I saw, I coveted, I took, and they hid. Eve saw the tree that it was pleasing to the eye. Pleasing to the eye. And she coveted, she took, and her And Adam and Eve hid from the Lord. We see that interesting parallel here. So we need to be careful, very careful with what our eyes see. Remember that old children's song, Be careful little eyes what you see. There's a lot of truth in that. We need to have a covenant with our eyes that we're not beholding things that are going to entrap us. And the second parallel that we see here with Adam and Eve is that they had everything. And God only told them, This tree, don't go near it, don't touch. That's off limits. It's forbidden. And they disobeyed a clear command from God. They weren't content with everything. They also wanted that one thing. They coveted that one thing. And we see that with Achan as well. He so blatantly disobeyed that clear command of God that those things were forbidden. Those things belonged in the treasury of the Lord. They were off limits. And we see in chapter 8 and verse 2, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho. So they're going to go back after they deal with this problem. They're going to go back and look what it says there. You are to do, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. If Achan only had waited. He was coveting these things that were the Lord's and they were off limits. They were forbidden. The Lord wanted the the first fruits from that first battle in the promised land. But the rest was theirs. They could take in subsequent battles. And so we see Achan here coveting and desiring those things. God wants to bless his children. He withholds from us those things that are harmful to us. And he says those things are forbidden. Those things are off limits. And we are not to covet after those things. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to you. That is the lesson that we learn here. And then God warned Achan and Israel that they would die if they took. And doesn't that sound like Adam and Eve? In the day that you shall eat, you shall die. Death becomes a curse. Let's read on. Verse 22 to 26. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver, it was with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. 
And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Here we see the response of Joshua and the elders to deal with this problem, to get up and to take action with the problem. They went to the tent, they found the evidence, and justice was enacted very, very swiftly. What an account this is. The terrible consequences of sin. The ripple effects of sin. Men dying in the battle. Achan and his family, who are now have the death penalty upon them because of these events. And what a terrible thing it is. His whole family is executed in this way. And there are many, many lessons that we can take from this account here. But very, very quickly, we need to remember that God is holy, that God hates sin. How sinful sin is. The sinfulness of sin. Very, very serious in our hearts. And there's no such thing as secret sin. That all those things will be brought out into the light. And so we need to be very careful with it. There is great judgment upon sin. The wages of sin is death. And we see that here in the life of Achan. The wages of his sin was death. Physical death immediately came upon him. And we know that the wages of death is spiritual as well. If we do not repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might think that this judgment is just so severe. How could God act this way? How could God deal with people this way? Being so severe. But we need to remember and remind ourselves that the, that the greatest judgment on any individual for sin was not at the Valley of Achor. Of course, it was on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Achan was a sinner. Christ Jesus was not. He died for your sin, for my sin. So we need to remember that as we come to this story. It really is a dramatic picture of the gospel for us. In Adam's sin, we're all alienated from God and the curse of death looms over us. In Achan's sin, the curse of death loomed over the people. Sin has to be dealt with. God destroyed the curse by the death of Achan. And by the death of Jesus Christ, he destroys that curse and the power of sin in our own lives. We see in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He becomes the curse for us. And so we need to repent of those hidden things. We need to bring all of that sin and guilt and filth to Jesus, and he will take it from us. He's died to eradicate those sins. We are so blessed to be redeemed of God, so blessed to be forgiven. And let's remember and go today forward and live in light of that forgiveness and live in light of seeking to honor God this day forward. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you that though you dealt so severely with Achan, And even more severely with our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we thank you that when he cried out, it is finished, it was done, our redemption was paid for. And so we thank you, O Lord, for this redemption accomplished and applied to each one here that has sought you and is leaning upon you solely and only for the salvation of their souls. And Lord, maybe there are those here who have not. And so I pray for those that they would... They would come to you this day and it would be a new day 
They would be new creations in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can go forward from here enjoying not guilt, but grace and gratitude. And I thank you for this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.